Eating is such a vivid experience, and eating with others is pretty intimate. We use all five senses, sight, smell, touch, taste, and sound. All five. (laughs) What else do you use all five senses for? So when we have an experience that surrounds a meal, it only heightens the memory. As Marcel Proust wrote, I feel something start within me, something that leaves its resting place and attempts to rise, something that has been embedded like an anchor at a great depth. I do not know yet what it is, but I can feel it mounting slowly. I can measure the resistance. I can hear the echo of the great spaces traversed. Will it ultimately reach the clear surface of my consciousness? This memory, this old dead moment, which the magnetism of an identical moment has traveled so far to importune, to disturb, to raise up out of the very depths of my being? I cannot tell. Now I feel nothing. It has stopped and perhaps sunk back into its darkness from which who can say whether it will ever rise again. Ten times over I must essay the task, must lean down over the abyss, and each time the cowardice that deters us from every difficult task, every important enterprise, has urged me to leave this thing alone, to drink my tea and to think merely of the worries of today and my hopes for tomorrow, which can be brooded over painlessly. And suddenly, the memory revealed itself. I'm Rosa Tran, and you're listening to Taste of Regret. Every week, I try to come up with a different topic and alternate episode topics, so it's just not so heavy every single time dealing with death and loss. And so this week, my friend Annie has come on to share her story with us. I am Annie. I'm a friend of Rosa's. I'm 39. I live in Los Angeles and I'm an executive. Hi, Annie. (laughs) Hi, Rosa. (laughs) Um, So tell us about your family. Well, I come from Chicago and um I am the oldest of two children. My little brother, Zach, lives in New York with his husband, Jesse. And my parents, well, my dad is still in Chicago and recently retired. And my mom passed away two years ago. What's your mother's name? Rachel. Rachel. And what did Rachel do? Rachel was an art teacher. And I I don't think I ever knew that. You didn't? Uh -uh. Yeah. She was... um, an art teacher for kids in all different ages, but the most recent job she had for the last many years was teaching sixth graders art. Oh my God, how, how, how fun. I know, she loved it. I remember once walking in the kitchen, I was home for the weekend, mm-hmm. and there were all of her art projects spread out all over the kitchen. What were they? I don't even remember. I think it was something she was doing with the kids. You know, she had different... Images, I want to say, of presidents and things for them to color in and different projects of what they could build in the class. So I said, Mom, you know, you've been there for so many years. Can't you coast now? Like, I don't understand. And she told me, she said, I'm not doing this for them. I'm doing it for me. (laughs) I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, I'd get bored. 
So she loved it. She was so passionate about art. Oh, that's so cool. When did your mother get ill? It's a good question. Um, she got ill. Well, she was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis 11 years before she died. Mm-hmm. She had had celiac, um, which was an autoimmune disease right. for 30 years or something. And then 11 years before she died, she got diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis. And she just called it nodules on her lungs. Okay. She was actually, her and my dad were in Aspen for the weekend for a wedding, mm-hmm. and she couldn't go to the wedding. The, the altitude really got right. to her. And so, um, and so she just, it was really scary, right? Because she had gone all the way to the wedding and couldn't go to the wedding. And um, when she came back, she went to the doctor and they diagnosed her with, I don't even think it was called pulmonary fibrosis. I just knew that she had nodules on her lungs. Yeah. Like we knew something wasn't right with her lungs. Right. And she just, you know, flippantly said, oh, I'll just have to take medicine for the rest of my life. We said, okay. Right. And we moved on. She was very positive, very optimistic. Right. And um, cut to, the last three years she was alive, something wasn't right. We didn't know what it was. And we found out, we took her to her doctors and they said she was fine. We took her to the other doctors in Chicago. You know, she was at the North Shore facilities, the North Shore Medical Center of hospitals. So she went to that facility. Mm-hmm. She went to University of Chicago. Mm-hmm. We went to all these different doctors and then we couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. We took her to the Mayo Clinic. They said she was fine. Well, I mean, it was just... But there was clearly something wrong. Something wasn't right. And when I say something wasn't right, she had no energy. And this is from a woman we called the Energizer Bunny. Mm-hmm. She could barely lift her head. Mm. She was depressed and exhausted and just not herself. Yeah. So we knew something wasn't right, and this went on for years. And it was probably in April of 16, my brother Zach had flown home for a weekend and my mom had picked them up from the airport and they were driving to our favorite brunch place and she passed out behind the wheel. Oh my God. It was really scary. uh, Yeah. And Zach, thank God, got her the side of the road, took her right to the hospital. And at the hospital, they just started doing more tests and we called in her doctor and her doctor said, she said, I think that there's something, um, I think there's something that's not, her doctor is the one who said, I think we haven't looked at the mental aspect. And we said, what do you mean? And she said, I want to test her for different mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, within three days she had gotten into a top neurologist, and they were able to pull up an MRI from three years before when she had started feeling ill mm-hmm. and to that present time, and they could see that her frontal lobe had thinned, and they diagnosed her with dementia, with frontal lobe dementia. Mm-hmm. And it was devastating at the time. This oh. was May of 2016. Right. Because, you know, we didn't we didn't understand what dementia meant. We right. didn't know any of that. Uh, we didn't know what it was. Other it's just than- something, some foreign disease that the doctor just told you. I mean, you're sitting there and these words are kind of like in front of you and you're just like, I, I don't, uh, uh, I don't, I can't process this. I don't understand what's going on. That's right. Yeah. It's exactly right. Yeah. It wasn't real. And, and I think about this a lot. 
other people's parents get sick. Yes. Other people's parents die. Yes. Not mine. Not mine, of Not course. My mom. Yeah. My mom's fine. My mom's an art teacher. She's great. She's got all this energy. She's going to get through this. Of course. Yes. And so at the same time, though, I remember feeling relief because here we've been through three years of not knowing, and right. now we could put a pin on what was bothering her, what was wrong, and get the magic pills, right? Because that's all my mom ever wanted was the right <laughs> pill. <laughs> yeah. And to her credit, she was so optimistic and funny about dementia. Like she would, you know, she would be upset, obviously. She was definitely upset about it from uh-huh. time to time. I'm not going to lie. Right. But then she'd be funny about it too. Um, there were times when she'd sing, dementia, dementia, dementia. <laughs> or if she forgot something on the phone, she'd say, oh, dementia. She just used it. She embraced it. She did in a way. I remember it was really hard at first to have that diagnosis. And my friend, Lauren, her mom has early onset Alzheimer's. Mm. And I remembered thinking the minute I found out I had to reach out to her. And it was so hard for me to reach out to her because it was almost like I couldn't accept it right away. Right. It's it's hard to think about the person who's, I was talking about this on Becky's episode, the person who's supposed to be taking care of you is now ill. And the roles have all of a sudden just reversed. And, And you have to do this for this person. And you're kind of standing there. And I equate it to being a six-year-old lost inside of a supermarket. Like, you're just terrified. Everybody's around you. People are there. Nothing is wrong. The store isn't burning down. But I am screaming at the top of my lungs because all of a sudden my world is literally just turned upside down. We had no idea that she was, you know, terminal. We just didn't know. And I think so. You guys had no idea we that had no clue anything that she had was terminal. No, I mean, so that summer was really hard. And I did, I did go to a support group for Alzheimer's and dementia patients, mm-hmm. children, adult children of Alzheimer's and dementia, which was really, really good. And Lauren was very helpful, but it was hard for me to reach out to her first because it was something of an acceptance. Yeah, yeah, you can't deny it. Right, right. right. Um, and again, it goes back to that's someone else's problem. Lauren has that problem. I would never have that problem. Right. My mom doesn't really have that. Correct. It's just a misdiagnosis. But then I felt so much comfort in, as we've talked about, finding other people that have been through it. Absolutely. And so I got home that day. I'd flown in for the week for Thanksgiving and she was not, she's not feeling great. We got Chinese food that night and just wasn't feeling great. And I remember, you know, sitting around the table and eating Chinese food. And then I think I went downtown and saw my friends. And then the next day I came back and she still wasn't feeling great and just wasn't herself. She was really lethargic. Something wasn't right. Like barely, very unresponsive? No, she was still pretty responsive, but just tired, didn't feel right. Something wasn't right, and the anxiety had gone up. Like you could just tell she was really anxious. Something wasn't right. Mm -hmm. 
that was Sunday night, and she had a rough night that night. She just didn't sleep well. She couldn't calm down. She was not doing well. She was in pain. And again, with since earlier that year, she'd been in a lot of pain, a lot of looping, perseverating, or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And but how do you deal with that when your mom is like looping and saying she's in pain? It's like I'm, yeah, I know it's it's so hard. I'm like when I'm at the hospital with them, I'm like literally in the hallway screaming for a nurse. Like somebody's coming here to give us give what we need right now. Or tell it. me where it is and I will get it myself. By the way, give my daughter the medicine. That's yeah. what they said in exactly. terms of endearment. You get it. <laughs> yeah. Just get it. Just there's no questions about it. She's in pain. But it's like, how do you even deal with that at home? And we tried to distract her a lot because we didn't know what else to do. You know? But you don't want to dis. You don't want to dismiss it because it's real. It's real to her. Right. Even though if it's not real pain, it's real to her. I mean, I can't say it's real pain or not real pain. To her, it was real. Yes. and you, But you don't want them to be in pain. Correct. Yeah. So it's just, that's the thing. It's kind of like just, you're super worried that, oh my God, they're in so much pain. And it's like, well. But also the doctors had said there's nothing wrong with her back. You know, so or whatever was hurting her. So it is this weird dichotomy of what's real, what's not. Right. But it's real to her. Yes. So you don't want to dismiss it. But you don't want to feed it. Yes. You know, right? Yes. All too well. So it was this weird time. But I called that Monday, and I remember talking to her doctor and saying, we need to get hospice in. And the doctor said to me, of course, she said, there's anxiety with pulmonary fibrosis. On top of that, there's anxiety with dementia, mm. especially frontal temporal dementia. On mm-hmm. top of that, your mom had some anxiety. So right. it's like right. a triple threat here. Yeah. Um, She's just super anxious to begin with. And then it's just compiling. Oh, yeah. From the diseases on top of a little bit of other stuff. So... Yeah, we all signed up for hospice. And I remember saying to Noreen, how long do you think my mom has? She said, I think she's got about six months. I said, oh, good. I thought she had six days. Like, I really, I couldn't even fathom any of this happening. Right. And again, the week before, my mom had been depressed because she thought, I'm not going to remember you guys in 10 years. Again, there was no expectation of this. Mm -hmm. And that night... They had given us at hospice a number to call. They were going to send some morphine over. Mm -hmm. And we got the morphine and we gave it to my mom. She was having a rough night. And they said, if something happens, call this number. It had to be about midnight. We'd given her the morphine. Nothing was working. She just didn't feel right. And Mm -hmm. she was in a lot of pain. And we called the 800 number for hospice to have someone come over for an emergency And we waited 20 minutes and we said, where are you? She's not doing well. And they said, oh, it will be there in 40 minutes. We're like, 40 minutes? 40 minutes? How how is that? I forget it. (laughs) And they said, give her her more morphine and put her on her side. And we're like, what the fuck are you talking about? And Zach, to his credit, said we should take her to the hospital. My dad and I thought, no, 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 we're doing what they told us. We're doing what they said. Right. Wait for hospice. And Zach said, I really think we should take her to the hospital. And thank God we listened to him. Within five minutes of calling 911, 
these huge firefighters stormed in our house, took my frail little mother and carried her out. Our oxygen was so low. I mean, that's you guys didn't have oxygen at home for her? Oh, as no, well? no, no. She was on oxygen 24-7, okay. but it wasn't oh, enough. Poor baby. It turned out she had a collapsed lung. Oh. I feel like she was at like a 30, right? If it's supposed to be 100, right. again, I don't even remember. If it's supposed to be 100, she was at a 30. It was dangerously low. Yeah. Or 50. I, who knows? Regardless, it was really low. Right. We got her to the Island Park Hospital. We're in the emergency room. And we're waiting, and the doctor comes out, and he said, she has a collapsed lung. We thought, another collapsed lung? And he said, yes. Do you want me to do the measures to save her life? And I'm not joking. It was like a scene out of a movie. At that point, the guy from hospice, who was supposed to show up at our house, he walks in. Like, who is this guy at 2 o'clock in the morning in the Highland Park Hospital emergency room? He said, oh, I'm here from hospice. We're like, what? He's like, Yes. And my dad said, what am I supposed to do? And he and the hospice guy said, well, you shouldn't. If she's on hospice, you're not supposed to do any life-saving measures. And we were like, do it. And my dad said, save her life. So I joke that my mom was on hospice. She was the shortest hospice patient <laughs> of all time. Because <laughs> I think that she was on hospice for four hours. For four hours, yeah. <laughs> And then, and then she was out of there. Yeah, that was She's it. like, yeah, this is for the birds. I'm out of exactly. here. Exactly. This isn't good enough for me. And the people in the emergency room, they saved her life. After that, they moved her up to a room in the ICU. And it was this really big kind of corner room. And lo and behold, we never left. My dad and brother and I stayed. We all slept in the room with my mom. We were all there together. And I remember we woke up in the morning and she was feeling great. She had so much energy and was super vibrant and excited. And yeah, she was just amazing. You know, if you had asked any of us, we'd have said, oh, of course she's going to recover. Right. She was like herself. She was totally herself. And she was asking questions. And, you know, she was very alert. And that day was such a gift. It, it just, it was. It was an incredible day. I asked my mom everything. I just remember saying to her, oh, mom, I said this to you in seventh grade. I'm so embarrassed. I can't believe I asked you in front of Heather Solomon. <laughs> like a stupid question. She's like, I don't remember. Don't worry about it. So it was little things like that. And then it was bigger things. And, and all of it was just, it was a gift, you know, that we got to have a day with her where she was just herself. Yeah. What were the bigger things that you guys talked about? If you wanted to share. You know, I think she always, she kept saying, you know, I don't know. She said, like, she kept telling me I was going to meet someone and that she was so certain of it. I just remember crying because it's like I knew, I knew she wasn't going to get better. And she kept thinking I was crying because I was worried about who I was going to meet. Oh. <laughs> and like, it's so funny. But you knew that was... I knew she wasn't... I knew something was right. Right. But she's like, don't cry. She's like, I know you're going to meet him. I'm like, Mom, I'm not crying because of that. Like, <laughs> but I didn't want to say that to her. Right. 
And then my dad was sitting there doing the crossword puzzle. And my mom and him always did the puzzle together. So she would chime in with answers like they always did. And, I mean, he had no idea. He just yeah. didn't think because every time she pulled out of it and Zach was in and out, his husband, Jesse, was flying in that night. And then, uh, and then I just, it was as the day went on, every time something would happen, we would have to sign a new um, DNR. Like, right. You know, we had to sign one when she went into the ER. We had to sign one when. Really? Oh, yeah. I only had to sign one. My dad does, did not want that. And so he brought that paper home and he said, sign this right now so I can see you sign it. Is that right? Yeah. And he goes, I do not want to be resuscitated. If it's uh, my time to go, then it's my time to go. I think, I will say, people think that death is about a conversation. People think that there's a way to be prepared for death. Yeah. That, oh, you can sit down and talk to your parents. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Or have a life conversation. That's bullshit. Yes. I do think life prepares you for these moments. As much as you could ever humanly think to be prepared. Right. For the tsunami of shit. Yeah. But like you said, your dad knew he didn't want to be resuscitated. Yeah. My mom said to me throughout her life... Do not keep me on machines. Yeah. I don't want to be on machines. Pull the plug. Yeah. As a joke, as an aside. Right. She would say to me jokes about, you know, she'd say, what do women bring to a shiva? I said, I don't know. She'd say, kugel, so I can check out the single guys. They don't last long. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? So, like, again, these are lessons she taught me, not because I we had a conversation. Right. But just because... We knew. Right. And so every time anything would happen that day, we'd have to sign a DNR. And my friend Carrie said to me at one point, she said, Annie, she's a doctor. And she said, Annie, don't you think it's weird that you had to keep signing them? But I didn't know. Right. You don't. But in in the whole, when it's happening to you and you're kind of just going through these motions and it's like, I don't know. I've never done this before. Nobody told me. You know, it's like when you're young, you're super excited to grow up. You know, you want to go off to college. You want to learn how to drive a car. You want to go on vacation. You want to go to spring break. You want to, like, go get married and do all these things. But as all these things happen, your parents get older. You get older. Your parents get older. Yeah. People pass. And it's like, well, what? I'm sorry. I don't understand. I don't. Under, you're talking to me, but I don't understand the words that you're saying. I don't know what to do here because I am not prepared for this. It's so true. Yeah. No one prepares you for parents no getting older. One. No one prepares you, and even your parents. I mean, I was talking about this on another episode, and it was just like you know how how do you even talk to your children? Like we've been through this now, right? We we don't have kids, but God forbid if we have a kid, Lord, I've real sorry for my kid, but um, <laughs> how would you even prepare your kid? You don't. You, you can't, can't. You can't because it's something that I guess it's it will happen and it's you can't predict when and all you can do is make the most of the time that you're here. So you told me this story about something that, you know, I mean, everything leads back to a dish oh, here. So oh, you're yes. talking about this story about this dish. Well, it's kind of funny. As the day progressed with my mom, she got worse as the day went on. 
you know, they upgraded her from the little thing in the nose with the oxygen. Then she moved towards the bigger mask of oxygen. That covered the nose and the mouth. That is correct. Mm -hmm. And then by the end of the day, she was at the Hannibal Lecter nose, mouth, oxygen mask. I mean, it just got bigger and bigger. It was like crazy. And at 3 o'clock, she had a procedure to drain her lungs or something. Sure. Again, signed another DNR. My dad had all three of us sign it. Zach and my dad had gone to pick up dinner at like a local hot dog stand, but it was a designer hot dog stand. You know, they had salads and the best baked potatoes and burgers and fries and all these good things. But he'd gone to Michael's to pick up dinner and came back. And at that point, she was saying, you know, she wanted to eat. And the doctor said, you know what? We don't want her to eat right now. I thought, why? They're like, oh, we're worried about it getting stuck in her lungs. That was a little weird, but okay. And then she said, can I have a drink? Can I have a Diet Coke? And they're like, we're worried about that getting stuck. I'm like, that's a little weird. Wait a minute. How can, yeah, that's weird. Again, all the signs were there. We right. just weren't ready You're to just, see yeah, it. of course. And Zach and my dad got back and they had the food. And I remember they kept it outside the room because we couldn't. Right. Because she couldn't eat. She so couldn't you didn't eat. want to bring it in there and tempt her. And I thing. didn't want to eat in front of her. Of course. And so she had gotten a baked potato with. Broccoli and cheese, extra cheese. She loved the cheese. And um, she kept saying, can I have my potato? I'm like, no, 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 not yet, Mom. She's like, okay. And then she'd forget. And then a couple minutes later, she'd be like, wait, where are they? Where's the baked potato? <laughs> I'm like, oh, Mom, not yet. And then we would distract her with something else. And she'd be like, can I eat my baked potato? I'm like, no, we're waiting because you're not supposed to eat right now. And as the night progressed, they, I remember saying, Mom, you don't have to talk so much because it was straining her right. and she would dip and lose oxygen. Sure. Again, as you know, you watch that chart. Yeah. With the heart rate, with the oxygen, and it would dip. I would look at her and look at the chart, look right. at her, look at the chart. And it was me and Zach and my dad. We we're all sitting in there and we're watching Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart <laughs> cooking. <laughs> Seth Rogen was on. I'll never forget that. We're watching this. I'm like, okay. And and she just kind of drifted in and out of sleep at that point. We're still doing the crossword puzzles. And at, later that night, my cousin Bertie picked up my brother-in-law, Jesse, at the airport and brought him. And at that point, my mom, it was like when Jesse arrived and we got up, she just kind of stopped talking. And mm-hmm. I could tell that she was slipping kind of into unconsciousness, which we thought was sleep. And they were giving her more morphine. And we decided that we were not going to, we were not going to go home that night. So my dad went home with Jesse and they slept at home. And my dad, my brother and I stayed at the hospital. Mm -hmm. But before they left, um, I remember she was drifting in and out at that point of consciousness And I remember her saying, like, dream talking or whatever you call it. And I remember her saying, oh, oh, such a good baked potato. (laughs) So in her dreams, she had the baked potato. (laughs) 
And then they all left and it was Zach and I and we took turns like sleeping and staying awake and sleeping and staying awake. And I don't think I slept though. In fact, I think he was up with her and I was just laying there. And then I sat up and was sitting with her and put on a movie and she started to have some problems breathing and wake up. And I just remember Zach panicking and getting the nurses and we didn't know what to do for her. Right. Again, we had no idea. And he called my dad and Jesse and said, you better come here right now. He felt something. Yeah, it was really bad. It was really, really bad. And we didn't know what to do. And they finally got there and they were basically like, she's not, you know, she's not doing well. And then they came in at one point and they said, do you want to keep the oxygen mask on? And we're like, what do you mean? And again, it didn't seem right. And I think someone asked the nurse, what would you do if this was your mom? Mm. And she said, take it off. And again, no one really knew, but we knew. Right. Or didn't want to know. Yeah. Yeah. But we knew. And uh, I sat on the bed. We held our hands. We all made a circle around her. And, you know, every year at Thanksgiving, my mom would make us say what we're grateful for. And, of course, we rolled our eyes and thought, oh, God. God, Mom, Mom, why are you making us (laughs) do this? Why would you make me do this? It's so (laughs) stupid. Yeah. And uh, we did that for her. We all sat with her, told her how much we loved her, and we told funny stories, great memories. And, you know, it was... If you're going to have to die. (laughs) Surrounded by your loved ones, you get to be there and... We all held hands, and we held her hand. We held each other's hands. We told stories, and we sat. We just all sat. Because this is the thing they don't tell you, is that when someone's dying, it doesn't happen right away. At least not always. Like, it takes a while. (laughs) It's like like those movies where somebody gets, they come back to life, and they come back, and they're still dying. 45 (laughs) minutes later, they're still dying. it took hours. (laughs) I mean, literally, I think she died. She still could breathe a little bit on her own, yes. even though. So you just had to wait for it to just kind of naturally subside. I think it was for, I want to say it was like 4.06 a.m. I could be making that up, but it took a while. Maybe it was even, yeah, it was like 4.06 or something around there. Yeah. It was so surreal. You don't believe it's happening when it's happening. No. Like I walked into my parents' house and my dad was, his body was there. Really? His body was there. He he passed at home. And they had just had dinner. Then my mom put on Family Feud because it was around (laughs) 6 o'clock. 
<laughs> mom loves mom loves Steve Harvey and the Family Feud. So did my mom. Yeah. To be clear, yeah. And uh, she just made him dinner, and he was. She said he was just sitting there staring out the window because he lived across the street from the park, looking out the window, and then he got up and wanted. He said he didn't feel well. He wanted to go lay down, and so she said, "Okay, I think she was just putting the dishes away or something." And um, he walked maybe four feet, and he kind of slumped. And she ran over to, to try to help him up. And he's like, I've fallen, I've fallen, come help me, come help me. And she came over and she's like, my mom's like tiny, my mom's smaller than I am. And so she's like trying to get him up and trying to get him up. And then he just started falling even further down to the ground. And she oh. starts panicking and she's like, she's like, no, no, no. And he is smiling at her and he's saying, you know what? Why don't you go call my sister so she can come help you? And so she runs to go grab the phone and she calls 911. Oh my God. And she comes back and he was gone and and she's like you know trying to wake him she calls 911 she goes to open the door and they come in and they're trying to like resuscitate him and he was gone like it was his was pretty quick and I think he had probably been feeling that way all day and he kind of knew because I called that day I called that day and asked I actually was going to go up there and I, I get really upset with myself when I think about it. But I called up there and instead and my mom's picked up the phone and she said, just get us some toothbrushes. You know, I was in Target. So I went and got them toothbrushes. And then she called me like two hours later and I was like, damn. But they know, like he didn't want you there. Mm. I mean, I know. I think it probably would have been more traumatic to be there. They know. It's like they must have known. Your dad telling your mom to call his sister? I know. No. I know. There's something. Yeah. And she said he was smiling. And I was like, you know what? He was at home in his own house, just had some dinner, watching Family Feud. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so it's very. uh, And how long before you got there? An hour. Oh, my God. L.A. traffic, right? Go figure. Oh, but, of course. Yeah, it took me about an hour to get there. And uh, I think, you know, a lot of my siblings were there already. I think my sister hadn't come yet with the kids, and so she had to take them in to decide. Because what they don't tell you is that they leave the body there. They don't take the body with them. Um, so they pass in your home, and uh, so he covers them up with the with a sheet or the ambulance, the people, the MTs, and they leave. I didn't know that. They leave the body there Stop. because, yes, because they're not the coroner or the funeral home. Oh, my God. So he's just there. That's insane. He's, he's, just, he's just there. Okay, that's insane. It's insane. It's like you think about it. It was almost like this TV, like a sitcom. You come into the house and there's a, well, there's dad. You know, she covered over him and I remember reaching down and, you know, just so overwhelmed with grief and and just, it was surreal. Like you couldn't believe it. Like your entire body's numb and you're like looking at this and you're, I'm looking at my mom and my mom is just, everybody's just staring at his body. And I'm like, I'm like in my head thinking, 
you know, when, when I found out in my head, I was thinking, he's not, he's fine. He's not dead. I'm going to go up there. I'm gonna, he's going to be fine. Of course. Yeah, he's fine. And I go up there and he's just laying there with a the sheet over him. And then I go down to touch his hand and I can still remember it being warm. I remember holding his hand and like just hanging on to him and just saying, you're fine. Just wake up, you know, because you don't, you don't want to think about that. But the funny thing is, out of all this, is that they leave the body. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And then you. Have oh to, my god! And then Man. and then you have to call in this when this grief stricken state. Find a freaking funeral. Home. Oh my god! <laughs> well, you know, on every episode here, we we try to tie something into a dish. Yes, I made you today a. The baked potato your mom never had. Amazing. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to go get it for you. Okay. And then uh, I'll be right back. Okay. Mm-hmm. We got you a, the baked potato your mom never had. And it's got mozzarella, cheddar, roasted broccoli, and I also got you her Diet Coke. That is incredible. <laughs> I cannot, I, I really don't think I've had a Diet Coke in years. Really? Yeah. I don't think I've ever had one. Well, what? They're so good. Really? I swear. Oh my God, it's really good. (laughs) Some things you don't think will be as good. No, it is. It's delicious. I mean, I love soda. Um, Do you want me just to take a bite? Whenever you want to take a bite. By the way, this, I wish everyone could see how beautiful this is. It is a gorgeous baked potato. I don't even think my mom's was as beautiful and gooey and... I'm just taking a big old bite. I'm getting a lot of cheese in. It's pretty damn good. Was this the potato that she wanted? Oh, yeah. She would have loved this potato. She would have loved it. It's a great potato. It was really good. The skin is uh, salt and pepper crusted. It's an incredible potato. My mom would have loved it. Are you kidding? She loved all potatoes. But it's really good. In a weird way. I definitely felt in comfort when she said in her dream state, oh, what a good big potato. (laughs) Because I felt like, oh, at least she had that closure. And now, it's nice to have one for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You don't want to keep it from her, poor thing. She just wanted her stinking potato. By the way, yeah, like, come on. It's like, yeah. I don't know why they couldn't have given it to her, but alas. Why ask why? Mm, really good. <laughs> Um, yeah, she would have loved this baked potato. She would have loved you, Rosa. I would have loved her, too. She sounds like a great lady. That's what's been so crazy, you know. You know, having been through this and dealing with it, it's brought me to so many incredible people like you. And I think 
the friends that I've made, the friends that have gone through what I've gone through, what we've gone through, there is a bond. There is. I think so, yeah. Rosa and I do um, a dinner group once every couple months, and I think that has brought me so much comfort knowing you're not alone. I agree 100%. I found that, and I hadn't been able to make it to those dinners, and the one dinner that I did go to was so comforting and it was finally like I felt like I wasn't alone you know because it's like who do you even talk to I mean I've got a million brothers and sisters but really (laughs) but it's like it's not something that you can talk to so easily to them I'm very grateful for my brother and my dad and for my family my cousin but it's hard to explain to people what you're dealing with and I found this dinner with women that have also gone through a loss of a parent in the last year or two. And we're all pretty young. Mm-hmm. Still feel young at yeah. least. <laughs> it's just having all gone through it, it cuts through the bullshit. You never think you're going to be the one that has a parent who dies. You just don't. Right. It's someone else. And even when it happens, like I still can't believe my mom died. Right. I still think it's weird to say my mom died. Yeah, it does. It feels very uncomfortable to say it. Yeah. It's never you. It's someone else. Yeah. Every time I walk past his room, I still look. Oh, you do? In there for him. Because I think he's, oh, he's just sitting in the corner and I just don't see him. I think also for me... The house, I don't know if you feel if you feel this way, like the house feels different without her in it. Hmm. Yeah. Just totally different. There's that emptiness. Totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still the house I grew up in, but it's different. Right. And again, is moving forward. I don't know. I don't think you ever get over it. I don't think I want to. Yeah, I agree. I don't think I don't think you will. Get, it goes with you every day. I just I feel pretty lucky that I got to have her as my mom. But my mom would have loved this baked potato because <laughs> I sure as hell am. <laughs> it's really good. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for coming on and talking to us today. You are a delight, Rosa Dram. I'm lucky to have you as my friend. Oh, I'm lucky to have you as my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Until next time. You can never really be prepared to lose someone that you love so dearly. But when it happens, remember to be kind to yourself. Laugh when you can. And try to talk about it. I found that I only started healing after I started talking. And this podcast has helped me more than you will ever know.